0: All right, church, let's look at our text this morning. Uh, we began a series on the Spirit a few weeks ago, and we're going to continue that series. Um, as we look at, we're going to slow down. To be honest with you, we've added quite a bit to it because we thought we were going to stop uh, last week and start a new series today, but it's just we just can't stop. Uh, we've got to keep going. Um, so this week we're slowing down and we're looking at Galatians 5 and, and verse 20 and 22 where Paul says um, that we are to produce fruit, that the, that the fruit of the Spirit is love, and then secondly, joy. Uh, so we're honing in on this fruit of joy this morning. What is Christian joy? And we read about it in John 16, and um, verse 22. This is what Jesus said about joy. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. That's the promise of the Scriptures. Let's go to God and pray that He gives us understanding this morning as we look at this topic of joy. Father in heaven, we thank You that Your Spirit is alive and let loose in our lives. And we cry out, You said to ask for the Spirit. And you would grant your spirit. And so we pray for the spirit this morning. Father, I pray that you would give us real understanding about Christian joy. I pray, Father, that you would make us a joy-filled people as you fill us up with faith in who you are and what you've done for us. Oh, God, I pray that you would correct misconceptions this morning of joy, That, Father, you would show us and give us hope for those of us who are more introverted and and more downtrodden naturally. And, Father, I pray that you would convict those who are more extroverted naturally and uh, more upbeat naturally, that you would help them to see that it's not about personality, but it's about your spirit and the truth of your word and the truth of the hope of what you have done, are doing, and will do. And that, Father, you might create a living apologetic for the gospel of Jesus by making us a joy-filled people in a fallen, broken world. Oh God, would you come and give us understanding and would you change our lives and would you give somebody, would you give many people this morning, new and living faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. There's someone that is close to me, and that has known me all of my life that has yet to receive Christ. Um, In fact, they've really rejected the faith over and over and over again. And um, I've given them books to read. I've had numerous conversations. And there's this uh, continuing abiding resistance to the truth of Jesus and the hope of the gospel. Um, And as I've watched them, and as they get older, I've watched them push away most people in their lives, especially anybody that has anything to do with God. Um, I find them becoming more and more resistant uh, the older that they get. And yet, they, they've not pushed me away. <laughs> I, I'm one of the last remaining people um, that they let into their world, if you will, and at least entertain the idea of discussions about God. And I was talking to a friend of mine this week about just this. And I've really wrestled with this relationship, and yet something came out of my mouth that d- directly relates to what we're talking about this morning. And what I realized was this, because as I lose hope, as I, as I struggle with believing that they're ever going to believe, it hit me this week that just maybe... Um, The reason that they've kept me in their lives, that they allow me in, at least at times, is not because of some life of perfection, but because they have witnessed from the time I became a Christian until today the reality that one thing has not changed about me, and that is God's faithfulness to me. You see, I've started to get hopeful this week that You know what, maybe God is doing something. I'm looking for that perfect conversation. I'm looking for that moment when the light goes on. I'm looking for that book that that helps them. And yet, maybe what the best apologetic, what the best argument is, is their involvement in my life and seeing all the messiness, and they know most of it, all the hurt, all the pain, everything I've been through and you know, 29 years of marriage, three raising three children, planning three churches, moving all around, losing people I love. Maybe the biggest apologetic is not what I've been saying to them, but them just standing back and watching that God has been faithful to me. You see, when I became a Christian, they told me it was just a fad. They told me that I would get over it, that you know this is ill. you know people do that every now and then. And yet that zeal has not. And instead of f- fading out, it's grown and it's blossomed. And they've been able to see that. And that made me hopeful. And friends, I hope that will encourage you this morning. Because all of us have people like that in our lives. And yet listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20 and forward. Listen, he says, We are therefore... Christ ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Interesting. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making His appeal through us. And then he calls them, he said, so be reconciled. Now, let's go down to chapter 6 and verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in troubles, hardships, distresses, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights, and hunger, in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in sincere love, in truthful speech, and in the power of God with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and in the left, through glory and dishonor, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we will live on, beaten and yet not killed, sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything." We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians, and opened wide our hearts to you. We are not withholding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. As a fair exchange, I speak as to my children. Open wide your hearts also. Isn't that beautiful? You see what Paul is saying there? He's saying God is making his appeal to you of the validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you see me talked about in public, as you see me discredited, as you see me beat for the name of Christ, persecuted for the name of Christ, as you see me suffer, as you see me die slowly, as you watch the world come against me with all that they are, and in the midst of my humiliation, you can stand back and you can say, the only way that that guy is still living is because what he's saying about God is true. Do you understand, dear friends, that in a real sense, your Christian joy, and we're going to define it this morning, it's probably different than what most think, your Christian joy is what the world needs most. John Piper, um, who that name means something to probably a lot of people in here, he preached his last sermon at his home church, I think he's been there 40-something years, and he preached his last sermon there um, as their pastor a couple months ago. And he preached on this text. And the title of this text was What the World Needs Most from Us is Joy. He's dead on. You see, the primary thing that God's Spirit is doing in our lives is producing fruit. And He's doing so to make us like Him. What God is doing is He is trying to make us something different. We typically focus on using God to do things for God. But if you to, to understand God's work, you've got to understand that what He's after is not just gifting you to do great things for Him, but He is about making you different So that you can be different and therefore do great things for him. You see, if he makes you different, you will be different. And then you will be a testimony of the validity of the gospel around you. Let me put it to you like this. The primary thing that God is trying to do in your life is not make you moral, but loving. Because if you love Him, then the moral decisions of your life are going to revolve around Him. The primary thing that He's trying to do in your life is not make you sexually pure. But He wants to make you joy-filled. Why? Because if you are joy-filled with Him, then you don't need substitutes. You're not addicted to... Uh, sex or pornography because you're addicted to something greater. You're getting the intimacy of God through His love through the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore, you're joyful. The the primary thing that God is trying to do in your life is not make you self-sacrificing, but a peaceful person. And we could just keep going. You see, God wants to make you somebody different. He wants to make you holy. Holy. And that holiness is described by the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness. See, God wants to make you that so that you will reflect His glory in the world. Is that your focus and is that your passion this morning? Piper was right. What the world needs most from us is our joy. So let's convince ourselves of that this morning through his word. And the first thing we need to see is that joy is essential to being a Christian. Joy is not just some thing that, you know, we can have or or not have. It is essential to being a child of God. If you don't have joy, you are not a Christian. Let's get that straight. Um. Saturday Night Live, anybody watch Saturday Night Live still? I kind of grew up, I was in that generation, uh, probably since 7th or 8th grade, watching Saturday Night Live. Um, I've definitely fallen away through different times, uh, and probably rightly so, uh, for a lot of the content on there. Um, but I, I saw a skit that they did recently about Debbie Downer. And don't know if you uh, have seen that Debbie Downer skit where she's the one in the group of friends that, you know, everybody's excited, but she's always down. Everybody has something positive to say, but she's always got something negative to say. And uh, I saw her, she was at a birthday party uh, in one particular skit, and they were about to eat um, the birthday cake. And they were cutting it, everybody was excited, they sang happy birthday. They said, okay, you know, Debbie, do you want a piece of cake? No, I better pass because... Um, childhood, uh, you know, or juvenile diabetes is is caused by you know too much sugar and you know and then there's Debbie Downer and then the birthday boy got a um, a fishing pole and everybody got excited. Hey, let's go fishing Saturday. Everybody, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And I said, Debbie, you want to go? No, my doctor said that I can't eat fish because I'm getting too much mercury and that's not good for you. You know, just on and on and on. Debbie Downer. I mean, she just can't do anything. She everything is drab. Every they've got a negative aspect about everything well to counter that i feel at least in the church we've created this fictional character that i call happy harriet happy harriet is what many think um is what you know the essence of joy and the essence of christian happiness and happy harriet is just always upbeat about everything she has a phd in platitudes you know i mean if you're down around her she says smile god's taking care of everything smile god loves you you know if um if, if, you know, the world, she says, if the world throws you lemons, we'll make lemonade. You know, if if you're single, we'll get just be happy. Jesus is your husband. You know, if I mean, she just keeps going. You know, if you if you're dying, you're on your deathbed. Oh, death is the most natural thing in the world. Just embrace it. And even making death, you know, happy Harriet is how many view Christianity and how many view joy. And I'm telling you, that is not it, because here's the problem with happy Harriet. Happy Harriet has to dismiss sorrow and grief and suffering. Happy Harriet can't be empathetic. When you go to Happy Harriet, the reason you don't even want to be around Happy Harriet is because she's not going to be empathetic towards you. She's not going to try to understand your pain. She's just going to try to dismiss it and deflect it and get you moving on. And that's not Christianity. As we look at the reality of what joy is, it's the essence of what it is to be a Christian because it's rooted in God's nature. Zephaniah 3:17 tells us that, that God will rejoice over you with singing. Is that a picture that you have of God toward you this morning? If you are justified remember that was our new catechism, a uh, new city catechism question, if you're justified, if you're righteous before God, do you realize that He is rejoicing over you this morning? He is the essence of joy. The only reason that we know anything about joy is because God is the essence of joy. I saw a picture. I'll never forget it. It was a a, a caricature of Jesus belly laughing, like sitting back and just laughing. And my first thought was, man, that's irreverent. Why? Because that's what the church tells us. (laughs) You know, you listen to sermons about the church and you think holiness has nothing to do with joy. When in fact, the whole work of God in this world is to bring joy back. It's to end death. It's to end suffering. It's to end pain so that His people might live in joy for eternity. You see, God is the essence of joy and yet that's not all He is. Listen to Isaiah 53 verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He personally suffered and embraced his sufferings. He wasn't um, happy Harriet. Oh, guys, it'll be okay. But you remember what he did when he came upon the tomb of his good friend Lazarus. He wept. He cried. Why? Because he was empathetic. He got into the pain of the world. Why? He He was the only one that could do that. Why? Because he knew that he didn't have to give himself to it. You see, the reason the world has to give us platitudes, the reason the world has to dismiss pain and give us easy little simple answers is because they can't look at pain and suffering and death realistically. Because they have no hope. For them to to really take an honest look, It's for them to become the most skeptical Debbie Downers on the planet. But we can. We can look at hope. You see, Paul tells us this in 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. What is that implying? Grieve like people who have hope. Don't stop grieving. One of my dear friends, Scott Fleming, if you don't know him, you've probably seen his name on many buildings around Memphis. He's a well-known architect in this town, but he's also um, a godly man, a giving man. I think he's the present um, board of streets ministry. Uh, he's an elder at Independent Presbyterian Church. Um, he's a great man. and His wife is a great woman. She, I was actually having breakfast with him the morning that he was going with his wife for the first time to the doctor because they detected something wasn't right with her. Well, she died this week, uh, just I think within five or six months of being diagnosed with cancer. I have grieved. I hurt for my brother. I hurt for my friend. I mean, to, if, many people think that to become a Christian means to never hurt again. If you become a Christian, you're going to hurt more than anybody else. Because you see, the only way that I can love my friend is to empathize with my friend. The only way that I can really love and support him is to get into where he is and to feel that and even project myself. What would it be like? And it's painful and it hurts. You see, I think it's happy Harriet theology that's driven us away from the poor and the oppressed and the justice issues of the church. We don't want to deal with it. We don't want a Christianity that slows us down and we have to think about poverty and we have to think about people in need, and we I mean we'll go do a little charity for an hour or so, but we don't want to get relationally involved. But see, the reason we can is because we're the ones that have have the ability to have hope with those who are grieving, with those who are hurting. Why? Because we know a God that is going to overcome any hurt or any grief or any suffering that anybody we encounter is encountering. That is the hope that we have as Christians. And so we must be even more sorrowful than maybe non-Christians. But joy is being deeply rooted in the reality that this is not the whole story. We know the rest of the story. Another reason why being joyful is at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian is because, think about it, the gospel means good news. If you look at the gospel of John, you see that that John refers to the gospel as glad tidings, joyful tidings, behold, glad tidings of good things, good news. I mean, you can't get good news without it impacting who and what you are and your outlook on the world. Let me give you an example. We're looking hard for a new facility. And we are just, you know, uh, putting a contract, and I think that's over. We can kind of get our minds off of that. We we thought we might be buying a building, but we're not, um, at least not right now. We're looking at other buildings. The facility team is working hard, looking at that whole side of things. Uh, we're also working hard to find another place to rent. And I went to the train station. Everybody know where the train station is? Uh, right over here on the corner of G.E. Patterson and, and South Main. Uh, big room, big room to do uh, children's ministry, and nursery, I mean, everything we need. They've got all the chairs. I've got, all, you know, I, I walked in, I'm like, man, this is awesome. And the woman there got excited who oversees renting and, and she said, here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to email my boss right now. I really want this to happen and I want to come to this church and I can just see all these people that live right here. I mean, she was like overwhelmed and there was good news for the first time in the backdrop of a lot of bad news. And I r- almost ran back. I saw Chris said, man, what are you doing? Come on, you got to go with me. You see, it impacted me. There's hope. When you're told that, that you're going to die, and then you're told that you're not going to die. <laughs> when you're told that there's no hope, but then you're told there's hope, you see, it's that renewed hope in the backdrop of no hope that brings the joy. Listen to this. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There's Debbie Downer. But God, see, those are the best words for Christians, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So do you know what Christian joy is? It's not dismissing the hurt and the pain that's around you. In fact, it's moving toward it. Because that is the nature of your God. He's moved towards you. And it's getting in the midst of that, but it's saying, but friends, but God, this isn't it. It doesn't matter what you're encountering right now, but God, it doesn't matter if you don't have a job. It doesn't matter if your marriage is, is over. It doesn't matter if you've lost a loved one. It doesn't matter whatever you're facing, but God, if you're in Christ Jesus. See, the rest of the story is God's goodness and love for you. And therefore, to believe that is to have joy and hope in the midst of suffering and pain. So it's very central to being a Christian. But secondly, Christian joy is rooted in Christ. It's not just essential to being a Christian. It is rooted in who Christ is I'm watching someone I love wrestle with the reality that what they've trusted in for joy all their lives is slipping out of their grasp. They've trusted in work and their ability to make money all their lives. That's been what has driven them. They're coming to the end of their lives, and they're, real, they're about to lose it all. They could go bankrupt. They're definitely losing their business. And they're being left with nothing. They've sacrificed relationship after relationship after relationship on the altar of success and on the altar of money and work. And now they're facing the reality of dying broke and alone. It's one of the most painful things that I've ever had to watch. It's like watching someone with an addiction. That they think that the bottle, or they think that the crack pipe, or they think that whatever is the thing that's going to bring them life, and yet the very thing they're looking to to bring them life is bringing them death. But here's the thing. I was encouraged this week, believe it or not, <laughs> as I thought through this this whole reality of Christian joy, because conversion, Christian conversion, Christian revival, Christian, um. Renewal is always preceded by loss. You can't be converted and you can't be revived in Christ and you can't, you can't find real joy in Christ unless you are willing to lose what you think is most important to you. The functional trust in your life, that what it means to be a Christian is you're going along loving one thing And and it's supporting you. And then all of a sudden you realize that you have been deceived. And this thing that you thought was going to give you life for the rest of your lives is not and cannot but Jesus. You see, that's Christian conversion. And so as I watch this and I watch the the horror uh, of watching somebody I love lose it all, I keep thinking, well, just maybe. Because this is what everybody has to go through. And maybe it's just going to take them 78 years (laughs) to realize, or 80 years, or whatever it is. We've got to lose hope in the things that we think we love, and the things that we think can satisfy us to really find Christ. See, we look to the love of our spouse. We hope in our spouse. If that's our ultimate trust, and we lose our spouse, then we've lost everything. You see, if we're hoping in Christ and we have a spouse, (laughs) we can can then be married and we can love appropriately. Because you see, when when our spouse or when getting a spouse is our idol, what we're doing is we're saying, I long and I must have somebody that looks at me and says, I choose you. Well, guess what? That's Jesus for the Christian. It, It can never ultimately be your spouse. It can never ultimately be the hope of finding the right spouse. Because God is already fulfilling that desire in you, I choose you. Job. If job is your idol, if you are looking to your job, if you're looking to success in your work to define you, then all it takes is someone who is better at your job to end your hope and your joy. If you are looking to, um, um, to, to sex for intimacy... You just want to find somebody. And it doesn't matter if it's a different somebody every night. who You can just for a moment or for a time be naked before and feel accepted. This person sees me and knows me and accepts me, even for a moment. Dear friends, Christ can give you that every moment and every second of every day. They know you not just physically, but they know you emotionally. They know what you think and what you don't think. They know everything about you. God does. And he says, I look at you and I love you and I accept you and nothing can change my mind about you. That's what you're looking for. And so you see that worldly hope and worldly joy, excuse me, worldly joy is based on something temporal. And it will always leave you empty and cold in the end. Maybe not today. Maybe not tomorrow but one day, someday, even on into eternity, because there is no earthly anything that can sustain you eternally. But Christian joy is rest on the very person of Jesus Christ. Listen to John 16, 19-22. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, and so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you'll see me, no more? And then after a little while, you will see me. Jesus was kind of giving them the heads up that he was going to be killed and uh, he wouldn't be around anymore. It says, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. When a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief. But I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. You see, Jesus has won their hearts, and He has become the very essence of their love. And the thought of trying to do the Christian life without Jesus was overwhelming to them. But He said, take hope. It'll just be for a little while, and then you're going to see Me again. Do you understand that that is your hope? (laughs) That to see Jesus is to have joy for the Christian. And so now you've got to ask yourself the tough question, does Jesus, is he the one that really is the one that I look to to bring me joy? Or is it something else? Is Jesus the one that you are waking up in the morning and running to Is He the one that you're going to throughout the day? Is He the one, is He your first thought in the morning and your last thought at night? Is He the one that you're looking to for ultimate satisfaction? If not, whatever that other thing is, is, it will let you down. And you will know no joy. love what Jesus says, I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. You know, the difference between the opposite of joy is not sorrow, but the opposite of joy is hopelessness. Think about that. The opposite of joy is not sorrow and being sad, but the opposite of joy is hopelessness. You see, that is why (laughs) we as Christians have to look at Christ as the very essence of our joy. It can't be that new job. It can't be that spouse. It can't be a changed circumstance. It's okay to go to God for those things, but that can't be what your joy rests upon. Because why? Because those things will simply bring you sorrow if God chooses not to move to make them better. But Christ is unchanging. He is, his work is, is, is true yesterday, it's true today, and it will be true tomorrow. And thus, the work of Christ and the person of Christ must be the very, the very thing that you're feeding your soul constantly. Or you will not know Christian joy. And that leads us to our last point. Christian joy is a work of the Spirit. And this is great news, friends especially for those who are bent more toward being introverted. Uh, you know, personality tests are kind of the the, the big thing in business right now. Um, you know, taking the Myers-Briggs test as a group, you know, as, as the people that you work with and trying to figure out everybody's personality. And I'm actually a proponent for it. There's a lot of help to it. Uh, we did it as a church staff. Um, and I have a much better personality than anybody, you know, Chris or Kate or anything no it's not for that it's just a, it, there is no better personality it's just understanding your personality and for me to be honest with you i mean i i've I been more toward being introverted than you would think you know i've I been more toward feeling than um than sensing and and more toward uh what are some other things? i, I can't remember but anyway I, you know i i've kind of nailed my personality type but the thing that's always bothered me is that I'm not extroverted I am up here and I am in certain situations but most of the time I'm not an extrovert I'm not a peppy guy I don't just wake up in the morning you know I'm not that guy you know oh it's a great day everything's wonderful I mean I'm kind of oh man you know the first thing I'm thinking about is man we got to find a new place to worship in we got to you know we got I'm meeting with these you know I'm looking at kind of, the, I'm, I am the Debbie Downer sometimes in a lot of situations, naturally. I mean, that's me. And so, for a long time, I had, I had trouble preaching on joy. But that changed when I began to realize and began to see what the Scriptures were saying. The fruit of the Spirit has nothing to do with your personality type. Having joy has nothing to do with being extroverted. In fact, I think I could build a case that if you're extroverted, you you are tempted not to have the essence of real Christian joy. Because if you're extroverted, then you're just happy. You don't really know why you're happy. You're just happy. But for an introvert to be happy, he's got to contemplate some good news. You get it? For for most of us to be happy that don't just jump out of bed ready to take on the world. We've got to get some new news. We've got to watch the news of the gospel. We've got to be reminded. And see, that's why I think I'm a different person many times in terms of personality up here. It's because I've been contemplating and studying and getting alone with the truth of God's word all week, and by the time I get up here I'm about to I can't wait to tell you about it. And that's how Christian joy works. You see, that's why we go to God in the morning. That's why we go to God at night. That's why we go to God throughout the day. Because we need some good news. And the gospel is the greatest news. And there is no better news. Well, how does the Spirit produce joy in our lives? The primary way that He does it is by exposing in us what we are looking to other than Christ to bring us joy. It's called, I mean, the world calls it our conscience. We call it the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work in you and in me is to always be nudging and messing with our business. He's always there. He's always there saying, really, are you sure? Think about that. Or you better give that up. Nope. It's repentance. The Spirit of Christ leads us into repentance and faith. He leads us experientially into something different than what we are presently experiencing. He comes to us and he says, "Now that's a good thing in your life, but are you are you using that good thing for the right reasons? What is the Holy Spirit doing in your heart right now?" Jesus said this in Revelation three. Twenty, I believe it is. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And anyone who will let me in, I will sit down and eat with him. You see what the Spirit wants to do in your life? You think He wants to make your life miserable. What the Spirit is doing is trying to get you to let go of that thing that you're looking to, that you think you have to have to be happy, to show you there's something a whole lot better. The Spirit wants to take your hands off of one thing that He might put your hands on Jesus. So what is the Spirit nudging you to to move away from right now? It feels cruel, doesn't it? But it's not cruel. It is love. And that's what the Spirit does. And when you're in that situation, do you know what you need? You need the Spirit. You need the very one who's doing the work to convict you of sin to do something else, and that is to give you love for Jesus. And that's why we started out in Luke where Jesus says, all you got to do is ask God and he'll give you the spirit because the spirit is the paraclete. That's what Jesus refers to him as in John, one who hears the cry. So if you want to be a more joyful person by turning away from some something that you're looking for, something that you're putting hope in that you think you have to have in order to have real happiness in life. And that thing has such a grip on you that you can't in your own power let go of it. Cry out to the Spirit of God and say, would you please help me let go and have faith that you are enough, that you are more than enough. And Dear friends, if we do that this morning, if each of us do that this morning, somebody, maybe many people in here might be converted because that is what Christian conversion is. So what is the Spirit nudging you to let go of? What is the Spirit nudging you to move toward? Cry out to the Spirit of Christ and beg Him to give you the strength to love Him and to believe that His love is sufficient. He is waiting. Knocking at the door. The picture He gives. Would you go to Him this morning? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank You that we can have joy in the face of of utter sorrow and utter grief. And Jesus, we thank You that You are the essence of life and You are all that is good. Would You strengthen us this morning, O God, to repent of our sins, to let go of those idols of our lives that we might hold on to You. And we thank You that You are reaching for us, that You are pursuing us, that You are after us, that You won't let us Leave us alone, but You're going to continue to come after us. And God, I pray that You would lead us unto life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.